Thank you, Bernadette. In fact, I'm going to start off by having Sue Birchman uh, come and tell us about a ministry that she's uh, really, uh, I won't say starting because she's been doing it for a while, but uh, opening it up uh, to the rest of the church. And it's, uh, Sue, why don't you tell us all about it? You'll do a better job than me. Okay, so it's called Transformation Prayer Ministry. As you all know, I'm the prayer coordinator, so had to be about prayer, huh? <laughs> so it's a, a way to facilitate getting you into the presence of God, to receive from the Holy Spirit the gifts of the fruit of the Spirit. And I know that you think, well, gee, I, I have some of that. But the idea behind this is that y when God gives you these gifts, you don't have to work to attain them, and you don't have to work to maintain it. It just is. You have peace. You have joy. What are the other fruits? Patience, kindness, goodness, right? All those things. Because if you're sitting in a chair here, if you're standing, and you're breathing with the breath that God gave you, and allowed you to breathe, you've been through some stuff in your life. And the enemy may have lied to you and said, uh, you're not good enough. You don't measure up. Um, I'm, you might think I'm bad or I'm trapped or I can't breathe. If you've ever felt any of these things, it, there's a list goes on and on and on. Uh, you're feeling like you're out of control. Uh, there, there's lots of, of, of ways the enemy comes in to deceive. But God wants us to be in our gifts of the Spirit. He wants us to just dwell there. I am uh, going to step aside and let two people come up that have uh, been a, really a great partner in this ministry. There's many more. There's a group of us that went a, over a year ago now uh, to Valley Chapel. This ministry, this transformation prayer ministry is global. It is done through word of mouth, and it is free. So there's no charge for it anywhere. That's part of their mission, is to share this. And I've asked a couple of people to come up that have received and share with you what uh, this has done in their lives, how it's given them the freedom. Because one of my passions is to set people free from the mm -hmm. things that the enemy has done in their lives to hold them back mm -hmm. from serving the Lord. Amen. Amen. So if after these two uh, testimonies, if you're feeling like this is something that you, wow, I'm really interested in, come and see me after service. Next week we're going to have a luncheon, free food, soup and sandwiches, all sorts of good stuff at, back in the prayer room. How appropriate is that? Come, eat, enjoy uh, some fellowship, and learn more about it. And learn more about our first annual prayer conference down in Pennsylvania in May. So I'm going to bring up Lisa first, because ladies first. This is Lisa McLaughlin, and she's going to share with you, and then we're going to have Max come up. Is that all right if I stay here? Yeah, you got to Yes, I bring my prayer, well. my prayer satchel, because <laughs> that's there's so much to this program. Um, where do I begin? Uh, if it not for being involved in prayer, I would not be here today. Um, many blessings 
incredible fruit. Um, you know, I've got a, a satchel full of things, like from, from prayer, my marriage has been restored. Um, I met a couple who mentored my husband and myself in Dick Smalley's Five Promises, I Promise, and it's a wonderful program that has really been used by God to restore uh, Richard and myself to uh, normalcy, whatever that is, right? <laughs> and then, um, of course, you know, it's the fellowship of prayer. So, you know, you, you have friends, you have events, you have things that you can do together, like the prayer luncheon next week, a lot of fun, uh, a lot of connection. Um, there's always somebody who cares, always somebody who's there for you. And the transformation prayer ministry um, I've re been receiving, you know, since last July, and um, you know, I've I've been a Christian for like 40 years now, and um, you know, I, I've just thought I've been through every single kind of self-help that's available, you know, and I've had it up to here with it. I don't need it anymore. I'm all set. I've done every single kind of program you could possibly come up with, but. This is, un, this is never ending because it's only the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And I got to tell you, you know, I just wanted to share one thing on the transformation prayer because um, it's so powerful. Um, with, um, you know, it's not focused on the problems. It's focused on the root of where these problems are coming from. And many of our problems are the outcome of our own unbelief or our own belief in a lie that has been the source of our pain. So um, through this ministry, we always, always let the receiver come to conclusions on their own through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we never, ever tell anybody what to do. So it's a safe place where you can come, be yourself, you can say, gee, you know, I've had this nagging thing that has been bugging me. And, you know, it, it's, it's just a very safe and um, effective way to get down to the roots of things that, gee, I didn't know that was there. I didn't know that, you know, I, I had rebellion. I didn't know that I had bitterness. I didn't know they had those things, you know, that were really based on some lies that I believed a long time ago that I never, ever addressed. So I'm telling you, it's amazing. I am a different person today because of Sue Birchman's friendship and bringing me into this ministry. Um, I, I really love the Lord, and I, I thank God for this platform. I thank God for this church. Thank you. Know. You know, Max, why don't you come on up? <clears throat> One of the challenges in trying to explain the work of the Holy Spirit is it's a little mysterious. And so you can talk about the outcome uh, and uh, what, what's being said here is nobody in this particular ministry is telling you what to do. They're trying to help you hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. That's the prayer, the prayer's uh, part of this. All right, Max, you're up. I've got the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> I'm not going to. When I started it, uh, it was uh, quite lengthy. So if it doesn't make sense, just come to me afterwards and I'll explain more. Um, this ministry helped me with an anger issue um, having to do with a certain person who caused 
uh, a deep, deep wound in both my wife and I. Um, I would get extremely angry at the mention of his name. This is so un unhealthy, uh, both spiritually and physically also. It causes so many problems, uh, having a deep-rooted anger. Uh, this deep wound I carried and buried for about four or five years. Uh, and God, in his sense of humor, chose to uh, heal me of this wound in a roundabout way. Since I had built so many walls around it, um, Sue, Sue Birchman asked a number of us to attend a prayer seminar. Uh, it was an informational session on TPM, Transformational Prayer Ministry. And I decided to go and attend. Uh, after I actually decided to go already, I found out that um, the speaker was a friend of mine and, and his wife who was given the seminar. The seminar itself brought back an old wound back to the surface. Um, one thing led to another, and Ken, uh, Ken is the individual giving the seminar, uh, asked if I wanted to have a session of TPM with him. Um, before uh, being effective in any ministry, uh, basically his view was, you need to be healed first. Before you give that ministry, you need to be healed of at least a number of problems. Um, I should state also that Ken was familiar with this wound I was carrying. Um, like I said, he was a friend. With Ken as a facilitator, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit just touched the wound and turned the anger into compassion and true forgiveness for the individual that hurt uh, both Joyce and I. Uh, Jesus spoke, um, as Jesus, as he spoke to me during the session, let me know that it was not um, done by the individual, what was done by the individual was not right, um, though he thought it was right what he was doing at the time. Ken mentioned the individual's name several times since that session, um, and that was where I found out that it was a true conversion from anger to compassion and forgiveness because that anger did not build up in me when the, this individual's name was mentioned. Mm. Uh, to me, that's proof that there was healing there. Now, am I healed of everything? No. We never are because we're, we're human and we do make mistakes. But as time goes on, probably I'll get some other mm. uh, ministry for other things. But I can give the ministry to others now that this problem that I had, this issue I had, uh, is no longer buried and is going, um, it's, it's being healed more and more every day. And no matter how much you bury something, it's not truly buried. Joyce knew exactly what was going on. And she would, uh, uh, time to time, gently, uh, she would say to me, 
you really need to deal with that and not bury it. Mm. So that's Great. my story. Thank you so much, Max. So here's the short plug for this ministry. This is not like I'm going to tell you you need to go to that ministry or somebody else is going to tell you that need, you need to go and receive prayer. This is a, like a self-revelation, <laughs> like I need help and I don't know how to get it and I'd like some people to pray for me. And they're not going to tell you anything. They're going to help the Spirit of God reveal to you what you need to do. So saying it differently, we know as Christians how we're supposed to respond and how we're supposed to act and how we're supposed to be. But when you find that you can't do that, there's conflict within you, that's when you need like somebody to pray with you and help you. That's what that's all about. And as Sue said, next week, ask all your questions. Ask if you're a candidate. Ask if you want to do it. Ask, you know, bring up your fears, your concerns. But uh, it's just, I, I don't want to say a low key, but it's, it, it, you know, it's very powerful and yet very simplistic at the same time. So I, I, I encourage you, if you're struggling, uh, to head that direction. Oh, good. Somebody left me a tissue. I probably need one. <clears throat> I have a uh, wonderful topic that I want to be talking about today, and that is, as we continue in the book of Ephesians, uh, looking at uh, the Holy Spirit. Be blessed because you have the Holy Spirit. And uh, as an introduction to this, I want to talk a little bit about, well, I want to try and tie together a few threads here. Next week, I'm going to be doing 101. Part of 101 is explaining who we are as a church, you know, what distinguishes us, say, from the other churches in town, uh, what distinguishes my background from others, where we're going as a church. Uh, with the end result of saying, look, if this is your church, I want you to feel uh, like we're all going the same journey. You come to 101 if you want to be part of ministry. We want you to be part of ministry. But I first want you to be you know, like in sync with who we are and what we're doing uh, before I want you to be part of ministry. I'm, I'm interested in you and, and I uh, being on the same wavelength. Well, the history of uh, the Vineyard Movement uh, really started with a guy by the name of John Wimber. And John Wimber was a unique individual because uh, he was an excellent student of the Word of God and a great teacher of the Word of God. And he was a communicator that was extremely funny. I mean, he, was, he just made you laugh. Uh, and he was also a rock star and had his own... Uh, uh, band, and he was a musician, and blah, blah, blah. But the thing that uh, was so uh, appealing and so different was his desire to do things in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, my first encounter with John was very interesting and uh, strange. Now, this will help define us as a vineyard and uh, what this all looks like. There is a great seminary up the road here called Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, one of the top seminaries in the country. Uh, John was asked to come and preach at the seminary on biblical healing because he was preaching at the seminary in Fuller in California on biblical healing, and his class became the biggest class in the history of Fuller Seminary. Because not only was he teaching about it, he was actually doing it. 
Now, if you in the Bible reading program that I've encouraged you to do, you should be reading in the book of Acts at the moment. And uh, as you're reading through the book of Acts, you should be experiencing a problem in your spirit. Like, this is the problem. Paul and John and Peter, they all go out and they start preaching the Word of God, but there's also power. And they're healing people and they're casting out demons and, and there's power and there's power. And then we look at our own lives and it's like, okay, I got the preaching part, but where's the power part? That's the problem part. And that's the part that John Wimber was like, okay, there needs to be power. So this was the weirdest thing. John was a humble guy. Uh, and uh, so Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary says to John, John, please will you come and preach at the seminary? But please don't do anything. Just preach. <laughs> to which John said, I'll gladly do that. And he did. He came to the seminary and he preached theological stuff and he preached the Bible. And he said, but what we're going to do, off campus, not part of the preaching thing, we're going to, what he'd called, do the stuff. And so that's where I met him. And for the first time, I saw John, uh, and I saw, like, miraculous healing. I saw people uh, being delivered from evil spirits, which was something you, know, you just don't see a whole lot of. And it was just in a very low-key, kind of casual kind of way, and it was just very winsome. Now, what that did for me was said, I want in. I want part of that. Now, it was a kind of a setup for me, actually, in a, in a whole roundabout way. Because when I got saved, I was in South Africa, I was in an Episcopal church, and uh, I, the, there were a couple of things that were strange about this Episcopal church. Firstly, the pastor was in his 30s. That, that, that for me, was like, Ridiculous. I, I couldn't picture somebody, a pastor being in their 30s. Uh, for me, as a non-believer, every pastor was in his 70s or 80s. The other thing that was remarkable about this church is like everybody was my age, like late 20s, in their 20s, early 20s. It was like cool. I mean, you go to church and people were like really singing and there was a lot of energy. And I, It's like this is just, I don't know church could be like this. I thought church was just for old guys. I realized that that was a 7 o'clock service. Uh, and I went to that service once. It was very Episcopal. And I had a cold and I was sneezing, whatever not. They came around with the communion thing. And, and I'm like, and we're all sharing the same cup. And, I, and I'm like, back up. And then, the, the, like, the priest said, why aren't you going to take communion? I'm like, my nose is snotty and I don't want this guy to drink the same communion thing. So I back up. Little did I realize that some guy's going to chew me out afterwards. Like, hey, you're sorry to take communion. I'm like, well, I'm so sorry. And then, but then I found out the 10 o'clock service, like, all the kids were there and it was like, Hopping, so it was, it was cool. But I was saved. I was uh, connecting with the church at this point. It was three months into it. And then there was a guy that came from England, from an Episcopal church. His name was David Pitchers. What I didn't know is that David Pitchers, as a bishop in the Episcopal church, had had an encounter with John Wimber. And John Wimber had totally transformed his ministry upside down, where he wanted to focus on the things of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit in particular. And he came to our little Episcopal church down in Johannesburg, South Africa. And he wanted to do a class on healing. Now the church was, I don't know how big our church was down there. But I do know this. The people that showed up for the healing class were 15. About 15 people. And I remember thinking at that point, okay, so this is like, not many people are interested in this. It's pretty obvious. But being a newbie in the, in, you know, at that point, maybe I'd read 
half the Gospel of Luke. That was my total extent of Bible reading. I mean, I was not well-versed. So we're sitting in this meeting, and the, and the, and the, guys, the, the bishop says, says, this is what we're going to do. Um, we're just going to pray quickly to God what God wants to do in our group today for physical healing. Okay, one, two, three, pray. All right, anybody got an idea? I'm like, well, that's a novel way of doing things. Uh, so being kind of new, I just sit back and he said, anybody hear anything from God? I'm like, I certainly didn't. I'm like, interesting. Uh, so, so one guy says, yeah, yeah, I, I saw some picture of a knee. And so David Pritch said, well, what did you see? So he said, well, I saw a knee and, and, and somebody who's got a knee problem. And David Pritchard says, well, was it the right knee or the left knee? And uh, the guy said, well, I don't know. But then a remarkable thing happened. My wife, girlfriend at that point, elbows me and says, it's his right knee. Well, I knew my girlfriend pretty well. And I knew that she didn't know this guy. And how do you know it's his right knee? I saw a picture. You saw what? All right, well, this is new. So uh, the guy says, anybody here have a knee problem? So God stands up, sure enough. Which knee is the problem? My right knee. I look at my wife. Woo, she's got something. <laughs> so now I was like, okay, now what happens? So then David says to the guy, okay, in Jesus' name be healed. I'm like, well, that was a long prayer. <laughs> now what happens? And so he says to the guy, well, get up and walk on that leg. Let me see your knee. And the guy, like, can't believe it, but he stands up and he's a little tentative. Well, it feels just fine. He's walking up and down. He says, well, praise God. Let's move on. And I'm like, wow, just like that? That's the way it works? And, you know, it's like disbelief. I remember speaking to the guy afterwards. Well, you can imagine when my wife and I traveled, the church we wanted to visit was David, you know, pictures a church in Chorleywood in England because we wanted to find out more about that. I thought that was cool. I thought that was like how Christianity should be. And indeed, it's been a tender spot or a soft spot, uh, you know, in my life, in the Vineyard Church, uh, we realize that for most people, it's not everyday normative kind of activity. But there's a deep desire in us to want to see more supernatural stuff that's of the Lord. We want to see the Holy Spirit work. We want to uh, talk about these things. Uh, so much so that, you know, uh, on, the other, on the other hand, I came to faith late as a teenager and sort of had a conversion experience, but my kids didn't. They grew up in the faith, they grew up in the vineyard, in the church, and uh, we would share Holy Spirit stories. And uh, praise God, my kids really got into this. And so, uh, you know, with youth group, we had a, um, a, a youth pastor at that point. Her name was Laura Bowman. Now, Laura was uh, battling and still battling to get 100 pounds uh, on her body. Uh, and she's an incredible marathon runner. Uh, and uh, Laura, you know, is one of these people that when you look at her, you wouldn't think too much. Uh, you know, like she's not this big imposing figure. But man, she's like got the Spirit of God in her. She's a firecracker. She spent like a whole bunch of time in Mozambique as a missionary with uh, Heidi Baker because she wanted to see the miraculous. Now, for those that know Heidi Baker and, and that ministry, you'll know that they see a lot of miraculous, including people being raised from the dead. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen anybody raised from the dead. Now, if you wired like Laura, you're going to Mozambique because you want to pray for people to be raised from the dead. Okay, now that I agree is not where you're at, an everyday Christian. Most of you are like running around tomorrow and they say, want to raise the dead. Laura was, okay? Laura was our youth group leader and uh, she came down here and she liked doing Bible study and all this stuff. But what she wanted to do is like get out in the streets. Now, my daughter being crazy enough, hearing enough Holy Spirit stories and saying, Dad, I don't want to hear your stories. I want my own stories. So I don't know about it, but, you know, teenagers are teenagers. They kind of do things without your parents knowing. And uh, my daughter, like, wanted to go on Holy Spirit adventure uh, activity without my knowledge, without my approval. Not that I really cared, but, you know, whatever. So Laura and Megan, my daughter, head out to Worcester. This is their plan. They don't have a plan. They're going to walk around Worcester looking for people that they can pray for and heal. I'm like, great, this is, this is good. I, I know I'm not relating to a lot of you because not many of you are driving around Worcester looking for God's activity. So Laura and Megan are walking down Worcester, walking down the street. God, show us somebody. We, 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 like, we want to pray for somebody. We want to like, whatever. Lily, I'm glad you're listening because uh, you and I are going to Spain Amelia, you and I are going to Spain, and we're going to be doing this stuff. So uh, those that are crazy enough, <laughs> we will be trying this. So this is the deal. So Laura and Megan are running down the street, walking down the street, just praying, God, show us somebody, show us somebody, show us somebody. So here comes a guy walking towards him. He's like on a cane. He's all crippled. He's walking up. He said, this is a guy. So they go up to the guy and say, hey, can we pray for you? And the guy's like, what? Can we pray for you? The guy's like, sure, whatever. Who are you? What do you want to do? So they start praying for him. And he had knee problems. And so God heals his knee. And so Megan and Laura say, well, how's his knee feel now? And he, he's a little tentative. He stands up. He looks at them and he says, who are you? What just happened? Why is my knee all better? Totally shocked. Leaves his cane, leaves his walker, he's starting to walk, he's like, walking down the street. So my daughter and Laura are like, great, this is a great night out, what an awesome night in Worcester. Better than the movies, better than watching Super Bowl. Like if you're used by God and the Spirit of God is moving, it's exciting. I mean, it's really, it's fun stuff. Now I do understand that for many of you, this is a disconnect. You don't have that desire. You love to hear the stories, you'd love to watch it happen but you'd feel a little intimidated like doing it. I understand that. But when we're talking about things of the Holy Spirit, when you read the book of Acts, there should be something saying to us, God, I want more. And I can tell you, if you want to join me in a prayer for this church, I'm asking for more Holy Spirit activity. Now, Holy Spirit activity can be Anything. It can be a whole number of things. It, it's sure it's physical healing, and often physical healing is what I will focus on because it's so obvious. But it can equally be healing from depression. I mean, you can be sitting where you're sitting, and God just heals you of a mental problem like depression. And when He does, you know it's God, and it's awesome. Uh, you could be sitting, as happened a few weeks ago, uh, and I'm preaching on something totally different, and somebody's been praying for the gift of tongues for like many years. And all of a sudden, during my sermon, 
on some totally unrelated topic, a few weeks ago, she started speaking in tongues. And I'm like, she came running up after the service to tell me, I'm like, how did that happen? I, was on, I wasn't preaching on that. You're not allowed to have tongues. I wasn't preaching on it. <laughs> no, but if the Spirit of God is moving, it's, it's an, you know, God was answering a desire of her heart and a long-standing prayer of hers. I ask for more of Holy Spirit activity in this church, more supernatural, more like, you know, I can't put it in a box because God can do so many different awesome things. Anyway, uh, that's a long-winded introduction. Uh, now what I want to do is read this section of Ephesians to you. It's the end of this very long sentence in chapter 1, culminating in the things of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is given to us as part of our salvation. So let me just jump in uh, at verse 9. Uh, chapter 1, Ephesians, verse 9, it says this. Now God has revealed to us His mysterious plan regarding Christ. And we've spoken about that mysterious plan. A plan to fulfill His own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For He chose us in advance, and He makes everything work out according to His plan. We spoke about predestination. We spoke about how God works in our lives for His plan. Verse 12, God's purpose was that the Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit. He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom He promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He was purchased uh, and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He said this so that we would praise and glorify Him. So the, the question that uh, we have, and I, if you've got a bulletin insert, I've got a whole bunch of questions that I want to try and, and deal with with the Holy Spirit. But the first one is, how does God, uh, how does God identify us as His? What does God do with this like, Holy Spirit? How does He identify us as His? Well, just understand that the language here, uh, it, well, let me read it to you in a different version. In the, in the NIV, many of you have the NIV version. When you believe, you were marked with Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. He marked us with a seal guaranteeing our inheritance. It's sort of like this. It's like when somebody gets engaged, you give them an engagement ring. The idea of the ring is a promise of something bigger and greater to come. But actually, a better description would be um, like a down payment on a house. It's like you buying a house and you've got to put 20% down. It's like that. God is saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. It's like a down payment. You already receive it. But there's something that's still got to come later on. And that's when Christ 
is ruling and we connected with him. But there's a guaranteed deposit that he's given us. It's not like something, you know, um, um, distant. We should all know about it. So the question that we should be familiar with is, do we know that we have the Holy Spirit? How do we know that we have the Spirit? How do we uh, understand that we've got this deposit? It shouldn't be something that is like, I don't know if I do, I don't know if I don't. So the main and the plain here would be, uh, you know, the whole salvation process. And let me just uh, point it out to you here because it's nicely summarized. Verse 13, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth. The first part of being saved or being a Christian, being a follower of God, being his child, is you've got to hear the good news. Okay, the first part, you hear it. Then it says, uh, and now you Gentiles have heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed, you need to hear the news, you need to believe. You need to receive Christ. And when you receive Christ, the third part is God gives you the Holy Spirit. He deposits in you. It's part of what we'd call being saved. So, when I um, touched on a few weeks ago, uh, predestination, and this idea that God has elected uh, folks for salvation, uh, what I'm saying, the strong points about that idea and that concept is that when God has elected you, you're not going to fall out of His grip. He's got you. It's, it's a wonderful sense of security. Uh, the downside of uh, pressing into predestination is what about those that aren't saved? And so it's like, okay, what about, you know, what about your kids or people that aren't saved? And like, okay, that makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Like, I'm glad that I'm saved and I'm not going to get lost. But what about those that aren't? So uh, how have other people reconciled this? Well, D.L. Moody... D.L. Moody was a great uh, preacher, and D.L. Moody uh, would have went about this in a different way. Let me just tell you a little bit about uh, D.L. Moody first, uh, because uh, he was a, a guy that um, uh, was a Boston boy, uh, was very well known. And uh, if you go down into Boston, I want you to look for this plaque. It's right downtown Boston. And so instead of going to the tourist thing, Faneuil Hall, and eating a big hamburger... Do a spiritual thing. Go like hunt for like, where did D.L. Moody, where's this plaque? You can Google it and uh, you'll find it's on Court Street, right downtown. Uh, and find it and stand there and say, wow, this is where D.L. Moody used to be. This is where God was doing like awesome things. This is where God did like really powerful Holy Spirit things. And God used the most unlikely people right here in our city, in Boston, uh, and so D.L. Moody uh, is somebody that many of you might be able to identify with. He became what is known as a great evangelist. Uh, he would pray this way regarding predestination. He would say, Lord, please save the elect. And if you're an evangelist, you want to see people come to know Christ. And what is not very convicting is like, okay, if people are predestined, like, What's my role? They're predestined. God's going to like save them anyway. So uh, Moody dealing with this complexity, he would say, God, please save the elect. And then elect some more. <laughs> please save the elect. But God, now just elect a whole bunch more because I'm looking for them. Okay, so 
Moody had a really b- interesting background. Uh, he applies for church membership. He's like a, a poor kid uh, from uh, Northfield, uh, Massachusetts, and he's bunch of bunch of many kids and the mom kicks him out and says, look you got to you, you got to put food on the table i mean these kids are poor poor find work any work whatever he shows up uh his uncle says oh, yeah i'll give you some work on the condition that you go to church okay you know this one with your kids right i'll give you whatever on the condition you come to church he wasn't interested in church didn't want to come to church but he went and then he applies for church membership unlike i'm going to do with 101 in this church. This is, this is not how I do church membership. This is how they did church membership in those days. It says this. I'm reading from uh, the story. However, his first application for church membership in May 1855 was rejected. I won't reject you. <laughs> you can reject yourself, but you know. But he was rejected. He was not received as a church member until a year later. His teacher, his youth pastor, He said this, I can truly say, and I'm saying it, I can truly say, and in saying it, I magnify the infinite grace of God as bestowed upon him. Now, this is like old English, I'm going to read it slowly. I have seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than than, than was his when he came into my Sunday school class. And I think the committee of the Mount Vernon Church seldom met an applicant for membership more unlikely ever to become a Christian of clear and decided views of gospel truth, still less to fill any extended sphere of public usefulness. In other words, this kid is a rebel and like unemployable and like... A rebel. But he becomes the greatest evangelist. I mean, he just becomes on fire for God. You know, God uses the most unlikely people. You know, there's this whole rich history here in Massachusetts uh, of people coming from like the backwoods of Massachusetts, like Northfield. Like, where the heck is Northfield? Do you even know where Northfield is? It's like out there in the bush. But that's where, uh, that's where D.L. Moody came from. And Jonathan Edwards, just like a little bit south of Northfield, out in the bush in Scope, you know, and, and Schofield. And we even got our own celebrated Lisa Graves, wherever Lisa is. Are you here, Lisa? I mean, just like, you know, backwoods, just like famous. Like God just like uses these people. I mean, just it's incredible what God does. So anyway, all that to say uh, that... You should know that when you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. This should not be like this huge, mysterious thing. It's part of uh, what God is doing in us. Uh, Let me be pretty quick here. Ownership changes when we accept Christ. Uh, But the question is, who does ownership change from? And honestly, this is the stuff that makes people mad. When I start preaching this or talking about this outside of church, people will get mad. And some of you in church are going to get mad because this is an insight and an understanding of, of God and of Christ and of this earth and of order that we wouldn't understand unless we got it from the Bible. And people that hear it from the Bible get mad. But here's the insight. Uh, I'm looking at verse 21. 
And now he, Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Uh, chapter 2, verse 2. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Blah, 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 blah. This is what it's saying. It's saying, hey, listen, Jesus is in charge, but the devil is in charge of running this earth. And when you get saved, you're coming out of the camp of the, the devil into Jesus' camp. There's only two camps. And what makes people mad is this. They say, I'm not controlled by anybody. I'm just my own free spirit. I don't believe in anything. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in devil. I don't believe I'm just my own. Not according to God. You're either in Jesus' camp or you're controlled by the devil. When you get saved, you're getting saved by coming out of the dominion of the evil one into the protection and the love and the care of Jesus. Now, as a Christian, you understand this truth. You understand the implications. You, you experience it. But as a non-believer, it's like, I don't believe in this spiritual world and devils and Jesuses and spirits. I just don't believe it. Well, that's what makes people mad. But you've got to know what you're saved from. Jesus said, I came to save people. That was his whole idea. Save us. And when you've experienced the Spirit of God living in you, you realize that you've been saved. I'm going to go a little longer here um, today. This, the second, uh, well, the main point of receiving the Holy Spirit is not that you speak in tongues, as important and as good as that is. It is being renewed and transformed from within. That's the main point. There is a conviction which changes. We now are answering and are listening to the Holy Spirit within us. And the Holy Spirit within us is wants to transform us so that we become more like Christ. And so our goal and our uh, obedience is not our own strength to get better and to be good and to live the Christian life. Our goal and our way of becoming uh, a believer, uh, a saint, is by listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us personally. It's an internal thing. And the conviction within us starts changing. We start realizing our desires for what we used to like diminish. And our desires for the things of the Spirit increase. And the Holy Spirit knows which avenue or which aspect or which part of your life to work on. And often what is so frustrating is church people, good intending church people, will look at somebody that's a little rough around the edges and they'll start saying, well, you've got this problem and that problem and clean up your act chair and do this and don't do that. And it, the person's like, I'm out of here. But when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you have the internal conviction like of cleaning up your act because He cleans up your act from within. It's really important. When we understand what the Holy Spirit is doing within us, our job is to obey the Holy Spirit. And when we obey the Holy Spirit, it gives us such freedom and such delight and such joy. And that's part of what this transformational prayer ministry is saying. It's listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. The prayers can't know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. You need to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Be transformed from within. That's how God transforms us from being a sinner to a saint. And I don't have time to read Ephesians uh, 4, uh, 23 to 32. It's in your notes. 
uh, read it during the week. And I want to finish up by three quick points here. When does one receive the Holy Spirit? Well, the main and the plain would be at conversion. But there are exceptions. You've just read the book of Acts, the first uh, bunch of chapters. You can see there's a bunch of times when people were saved and then they received the Spirit first because they were baptized into you know, the baptism of John the Baptist. And, and then you know, Peter and the apostles come and say, well, you need to receive the Holy Spirit. Let me say, to, say this to you. A better question than when does one receive the Holy Spirit is this question. Do you receive the Holy Spirit only once? That's a far better question. Because I think what you will find as you read through the book of Acts, what you've already read and what you're about to read if you're on this Bible reading plan, is that people were filled with the Holy Spirit again and again. Uh, there was a one-time filling you know, at conversion or a second baptism. But again and again, you'll see this phrase. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, blah, 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 and did a whole bunch of powerful things. Uh, or they prayed as Christians, as converted people, and they received the power of the Spirit, or the Spirit fell on them, or the Spirit came. Uh, again and again would be this thing of the Holy Spirit. Is evidence, is talking in tongues evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit? I would say, uh, according to Apostle Paul, that we should eagerly desire these special gifts. But I don't believe everybody has received that gift. I believe you can receive the Holy Spirit at conversion. You can receive the Holy Spirit multiple times and still not get the gift of tongues. I mean, I, I, practically, I just know a whole bunch of really Spirit-filled believers that would love to speak in tongues. They're praying for, for tongues and just, like, just don't receive it. Uh, so I don't think everybody that is filled with the Holy Spirit speaks in tongues. I don't. But like Paul, I think you should eagerly desire them. And like Paul, uh, you, you know, you should speak in tongues. Uh, you've got the two references in 1 Corinthians uh, to read and to do that. I'm going to end here uh, by, by concluding this way. I think we should be desiring more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We should realize that the Holy Spirit is the supernatural key to transform us from within. Uh, when we see activity of the Holy Spirit in us and around us, it's exciting to be part of it. It's exciting to see people get healed, set free, empowered, encouraged. Uh, it's exciting even with the things that aren't you know, so easily tangible, being healed of depression, getting out of a sense of being stuck in a hole, uh, having you know, a direction given to you by the Lord of where He's setting you and directing you and guiding you. When you have a conviction that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and He said, I want you to do this, I'm encouraging you to do this, or I want you to speak to so-and-so about this, it's extremely powerful. It's normal Christian living to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to be doing supernatural things. And our desire should be, I want more. And we desire more. And I do as a church. I want God to do more supernatural, empowered things in us, through us. And honestly, it should be so normative that when you come into church, without even really somebody praying for you, God does something in you. Whatever it is that, however you come in empty, however you come in devoid, God fills you and encourages you. And His love presses in on you. That when you leave, you feel different. Whether you understand it or not, you feel encouraged. You, you feel like, okay, God is, is with me and encouraging me. That is the sort of movement of the Spirit that I'd want to see uh, more of. 
I do desire people to speak in tongues. I do desire to see people physically healed. Uh, and I do desire to see the dead raised. You know, let me just say this. When you and when I are praying for people to, and asking God to do something miraculous, we are always faced with this like unbelievably difficult spiritual challenge. We're asking for something impossible. You know, if somebody's leg is broken, and I choose a leg just because it's so easy to picture and understand it. If somebody's leg is dysfunctional, broken, you know, the kneecap is destroyed, and you're asking God to heal it, obviously you're facing the reality of the obvious. Like, this is impossible. You know, having a long-winded prayer and rubbing it and stroking it and turning it around isn't going to help. You, God's got to do something impossible. And every time we pray for something impossible, we're faced with the fact that this is impossible. It's, it's like, it can be overwhelming. You have to have a certain amount of faith to believe, I can pray for this, I want to pray for this, and I want to see things healed. It, there's a risk, there's a faith thing. But when it happens, when we're part of it, it's exciting. That's all I can say, and that's where I want to finish. So uh, let's have this.